just played his last song. And all that's left is an empty bar, two friends, and the truth. This podcast is all about the late night hang. Stick around for the late set, where you can be yourself without consequence. But uh, welcome to the late set. And this is uh, our first live stream show. So I'm excited to have the one and only James Byers with me tonight. And uh, he is a financial expert. And it's something that I think that we need more and more, especially in the black community, because it's it's something that we we don't have access to normally. And I mean, you know, I want to start the show by just kind of getting a brief, you know, not even a brief. I want to get a background. How did you even get into finance? Like, let the people get to know who you are behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, you know, it started out um, as a more generic idea of just being in business, you know. And then from there, it was, um, you know, learning more about particular parts of business. I started off as a branch manager at Wachovia Bank uh, right out of school after I graduated from uh, North Carolina a and I'm, re- I'm representing <laughs> for the Aggies, Aggie Pride, representing for the HBCUs um, out there. And, um, and so uh, after I graduated, this was in 2003, I started my career as a branch manager. And, and from there, I learned uh, more about know, helping people and really seeing intimately some of the things, um, the challenges that people face every day. And so after being a manager for a couple of years, um, I I got licensed and started doing the the sales side, which allowed me to now help people do mortgages, uh, do all kinds of credit consultations and uh, do business lending. Um, got into investments and, and all of that. So it really exposed me to a lot. Okay. You know, that's interesting, man. Like you, but it, it doesn't actually connect to the whole investing part a whole lot. You were doing some of the other things, some, some lending more than you were taking money, people's money and helping them make more money. Right. So I, I think like a lot of times you'll hear people say, like, how do I, how, do, how does the stock market work? How does X, Y, and Z, how do I make more money? How do I trust it? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's an inherent distrust in the system because the system has never worked for you. If you black, the system has never worked for you your whole life. And then one day you turn 30 and somebody's like, you know what you need to do? You need to give me your money. <laughs> you know, the extra money you have, take it out your savings account and give it to me. And I can I can make you more money. And black people are like, nah, I'm good. I don't, I don't want to do that, you know? So that's that's kind of the hurdle that that you you have to face every day trying to con- educate and convince people to to grow their money. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that, that is real, man. And and the thing about it is when you when you really think about it, um, it it really boils down to one basic idea, which is it's difficult for us to really move forward and solve problems if we don't move above where we are in the midst of that problem. Um, and so Einstein said it best. He says, you can't solve a problem with the same level of consciousness that created it. And so, you know, that, that level of consciousness, we have to be able to move beyond in order to figure out how to really solve the problems that we have. 
Okay. Um, and so it is. It's 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 unnerving. It it really is. And you're trying, like you said, it's a system that's never rewarded us. Um, but think about it like this: a system that's never rewarded us, mainly because we haven't been in the system to get the reward. Absolutely. And so here's here's what it boils down to. This is what's called in economics a zero sum game. Mm. Zero sum. What does that mean? For every loser, <laughs> there's a winner. Absolutely. <laughs> and so the the system was never uh, uh, against us. The system kept us out. Mm. And so why is it that, you know, it was illegal for slaves to know how to read? Something as simple as reading, learning. Why? Because if you get education if you, and if you can learn, then you can get in the system that rewards. Mm. And so that's what it is, even when it comes down to the monetary system and understanding that um, it's a zero sum game. So if you're out of it, if you're not in the game, you're losing. It's not that you're being it's not that you're not being rewarded. You're actually being penalized. You're the flip side of the coin. Flip side of the coin. I'm going to tell you one quick thing blew my mind when I was working at the bank. I was sitting there. I saw something come across the screen. And I was like, what? Wait a minute. Let me learn more about that. And I told you I worked at Wachovia. Right. So I learned that one of the largest real estate deals okay. in history was done by, uh, I don't know if it was Wachovia at that time or Wells Fargo at that time, um, but it was it was done by what's now known as Wells Fargo. Mm. Largest real estate deal in history at that time. It, what what was that? Do you remember? Projects in New York. Wow. Unbelievable. A set of projects <laughs> in New York. So now you have billions of dollars moving while people are living in poverty all at the same time. So somebody's getting extremely wealthy while somebody is staying in poverty. Mm. So if we don't understand how this stuff, I'm telling you, zero sum game. If you're not being rewarded, it's because you're being penalized. If you're not in the game, that's what it is. That's that's what it boils down to. Wow. That's that's it. See, I like how how you just first of all that that's crazy as hell. <laughs> that that the big like the biggest real estate deal in the history at that time was someone building projects to house very poor people, and also it's a system designed to keep them there. That's a whole nother subject, but. You also referenced reading, and and for me, reading about financial, uh, the the financial markets liberated me. You know what I mean. Mm. And, and the first book I got a long time ago was uh, the Automatic Millionaire, um, mm. and, and so I read that book, and it gave some really simple, basic things like, okay, this is how you set up uh, different accounts, like other than a savings account, like a money market account, you know, stuff like that. The basics of the yep. stock market with an ETF and, and we can get into all this stuff later. But but that book gave me the hunger to get more information. It led me to like 30 other books to kind of wow. like set up, to set it up to win as best as I could. You know what I mean? And then at some mm -hmm. point you got to level up and, and try to get a financial advisor once, once you get to a certain place. But But you got to have that base knowledge first. Yeah, simple. So, so yeah, so you can get a basic understanding of what's happening and then you can make some moves, you know. Yep. 
you have, you ever hear that phrase people say um ignorance is bliss oh absolutely yeah look let me tell you something so if we practice financial ignorance come on is yeah. that bliss <laughs> is that bliss really well you know bliss is supposed to mean happiness right. but i'm gonna tell you my definition of bliss okay b-i-b-l-i-s-s okay you're in bliss and it's causing you to be ignorant, then you're believing less is somehow sufficient. Wow. Bliss, B-L-I-S-S, believing less is somehow sufficient. Wow. You know, we always not. listen to people who don't know because we're accustomed to listen to our, to our parents, our grandparents. But they weren't a part of the system. They were just trying to get us to a place, you know, I'm 35. I, I don't, how old are you? 40. You're 40. So yeah. So they were just trying to get us to a place where we could succeed a little bit more than they could. So they didn't really right. have time to learn about the stock market and they didn't even have access to it really. Right. So I think 401ks were invented in the late seventies, early eighties or something like that. And yeah. before that, everybody had a pension. So those pensions, yeah. You needed a broker before then to even get access. So, so imagine you, me calling a broker at that time, being like, "All right, bro, I got five hundred bucks, which was a lot of money to invest." They might hang up on you. Yeah, and good luck finding a black one. Oh, I ain't happy. <laughs> you know, not saying it was impossible because some people did it, yeah. but but definitely that that was the barrier. Uh, you know, during that time period up until 401ks and the market, things became a little bit more accessible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, it's still honestly tough today. You know, black black advisors, we only represent uh, three to 5% of wow. the advisors. Um, and so sometimes, quite honestly, it's hard for people to relate um, because they don't understand uh, our struggle. They don't understand the learning curve. They don't understand how to approach it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I hear a lot of times people, you know, they'll have the bootstrap conversation. Right. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, if you stop kicking me over every time I bend down to pull myself up, yeah, stop taking my boots off my feet, right? Then maybe I can't. Yeah. So how do we, you know, now that we've got a baseline, like you know, the system. The reason why we have so much distrust in the system, and it might not only exist in a black community, maybe some other people have that same feeling. How do right. we overcome that distrust? What are what are some some like you know some basic things that people can do to make themselves yeah. feel more comfortable so they don't feel like it's a gambling situation? Right. Um, in most times, most instances, I go back to ignorance is bliss. Um, it's all about a lack of education. I've been in this industry for 17 years, and I can tell you that the majority of my um, Black clients, I have clients of all ethnicities and races, so on and so forth, um, but just specifically speaking of my Black clients, the majority, probably 75%, I would say, um, never had an advisor before me. Right. I'm their first advisor. Right. Yeah. And basically at the end of the day, that ignorance, not knowing, um, quite frankly, is the most uh, um, dangerous thing. Uh, so we've got to do, like you said, educate, read, research, 
um, you know, my my educational process was a lot of firsthand, you know, and that that because I started off my career in banking. And so, you know, I got to see the the white family come in and establish and I got to see the black family come in and establish. And it was just different mindsets, totally mm-hmm. different mindsets. Of course, the black family I can relate to. I can understand that's how my family is. But when I started seeing the operation of our counterparts, mm. that's the thing. And so the thing that I think drives most people to fear is just flat out being unfamiliar and thus fearful because I don't know. And if I don't know and you look like me, you don't know either. Huh. So it's fear and trust, <laughs> right? Right. You know, or distrust, mm-hmm. um, and that goes back to your first your first point about a system that um, did not reward us. Um, we didn't understand it because we were being held out. The door was closed on purpose. Well, now that the door can be open, we've got to learn how to use the information that's out there. So, right. you know, this is technology age. You can Google anything. Now, that could be good and bad because you can get a lot of bad information just as quick as you can get a lot of good information. Um, And so we've got to learn how to trust people so that we can learn and we can decipher through the good information versus the bad information. Before we we uh, had some technical difficulties, we were talking about trusting a financial advisor. And I asked you kind of what are some steps people can do to help themselves get to a place where they trust somebody else with their money? Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, that's a, a critical question. That's what it really boils down to is trust. Um, one's ability to, to trust someone really you're giving up something you're giving up some control you're giving up uh you know for some people a comfort zone and so you know it it, it's gonna take generations that aren't afraid to learn Hmm. um it's gonna take people who aren't afraid to do something they haven't done before and so i really do think that changing of the guard as we go from generation to generation that um, the younger people that I work with are much, um, much easier in terms of having these conversations. And they're like, I don't know nothing about that. Mama didn't tell me, daddy didn't tell me, 
Grandma ain't did nothing like that, but I need that in my life, <laughs> you know, versus when I'm talking to grandma, you know what she tell me every time I, 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 I uh, finish talking, the, don't lose my money now, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, we, we, we have to get to the point where um, our education uh, begins to ramp up to the, to the degree that we can trust. Yeah. And as that happens, um, then we will trust more. We'll move forward. Yeah. And, and if, I think if people refer to some, to the book I mentioned earlier, which is the automatic millionaire. Um, and also Dave Ramsey has a book, uh, called the total money makeover. And that's another really good one, especially if you're trying to just get out of debt, which I, I'm yeah. pretty sure I'll, I'll be ambitious and say 90% of the people listening to this have student loan debt. And, and so yeah. it, it kind of gives you some strategies to, to, to deal with that so that you can be free because I think now debt is the new slavery. And, it is. and so if you can free yourself from that, you can do, you, you'll be amazed, man, of some things you can do. And, I, and I'll just give everybody a little bit of background for me because I was, you know, I was just like everybody else in $30,000, $40,000 worth of student loan debt for a long time, man. And I had money to pay it off. You know, I had I came out of college with a gig, with a nice gig. I'm a drummer, so a nice gig, and I could have paid it off. But, you know, you know how it is in your 20s. <laughs> and I got to 30-something and got divorced from my first wife. And was like, damn, I need I need to take care. And I got focused. And so in, in like a year, I paid off all of that debt, man. Now, I ain't go nowhere. I ain't do nothing. <laughs> I'd be on a road. I mean, I, I mean, I was on the road in Qatar, man, for three months straight. I didn't do nothing. Wow. I played wow. it. I played the gig, which was in the hotel upstairs from my room. And then I went back in my room. Everybody else going out partying, spending money. I was like, uh-uh. All this money, <laughs> this, this is debt money. I ain't yeah. three months, bro. I ain't do nothing. I lived in wow. a cheap, cheap apartment in the city, $650 wow. for a room. Now imagine that. Now you already know what that means in New York. So yeah. <laughs> the, the room only fit a, a mattress in a, in a you know basically only fit a bed. You know what I mean? Wow. So I got to know the wow. city. I wasn't in there too much, but I was like, all right, this this how I'm gonna do it. I didn't go out. I played gigs for a year. I did that, and, and I was able to save money to pay that loan, and I was free. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I think it's important for people to start there, like take care of your debts, and then get into the investment game and then call, call a person like you, would, would you agree with something like that? And that's, 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 um, important, you know, getting your, getting your whole house in order. Um, you know, that's what I really saw as the biggest benefit for me coming, uh, into the industry through the banking channel, because I got to see all sides. And so I did a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. I got to see, you know, the, the consumer debt side, the commercial debt, lending, mortgages, um, you know, credit cards, car loans. And I also got to see the asset side of the balance sheet, um, you know, with the savings, the CDs, the mutual funds, yep. the annuities, all of that kind of stuff. And the truth is that if you don't have your debt side, the liability side, in order, it's really hard to get the asset side in order. Um, 
because you're, it's going to be, it's going to be uh, uh, a struggle to save anything when you're so far in debt. Um, but to the other side, there is a balance. You know, um, I always tell folks, you know, even if you're getting your debt picture cleared up, um, that you want to start exercising the saving muscle. Because I'm going to tell you a cycle that I personally witnessed um, working at the bank. I personally witnessed, I worked there for, I don't know, seven, eight years, something like that. Um, and so I was there long enough to see full cycles of people come in, borrow money to pay off credit cards and this and that. And, and so we do an equity line, put all of this stuff together. They're on a payment plan. They got you know, 10 years and they're out of debt, five years, seven years, whatever it is, however we worked it out, they're out of debt. And man, in seven years, they coming back in to get another loan, except this time they can't get an equity loan. Why? Because they still own that. Plus all the credit cards that we paid off, they've now run up again. And so if you don't start exercising the muscle, you got to kind of work both sides simultaneously. It's just where you put the emphasis. If the emphasis on debt eradication, you want to get rid of that debt, um, eradicate it, yes, but you can't necessarily wait until every penny is paid off before you start saving. Because guess what? You're only used to dealing with debt. So guess what? You're just going to get back in more. But when you got a taste of saving and you're like, oh, man, I'm watching my debt do this and my savings do this. Yeah. Even if they're even in neck and neck right now, I'm feeling good because now guess what I'm doing? I'm pushing to pay this down a little bit more and I'm squeezing a few more dollars out to add over here. And so now that 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 separation gets bigger and bigger versus I'm going to just wait till I get everything paid off and you never start saving. This is a good point. And, and I think there's something else happens to us too, especially black people or people from the hood, people from the struggle, even if you're not from the hood, is that when you do get free, say you did that, you paid the debt down, you saved the money. Now you got the cash and you don't want to let it go. I know what happened <laughs> to me. I'm like, wait a minute. I, I like seeing, you know, you like seeing a certain amount of money in the bank every month, you know, like, like right. it makes you feel comfortable. It's like a, a warm, fuzzy blanket. Yeah, <laughs> like a hoodie. Uh, yeah, you're like, all right, I'm good. I got, I got stacks. I'm straight. Like no matter what, you know. Yeah, and 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 that can make it hard to invest because yeah, because of that 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 phobia of losing all your money in the stock market that you hear people uh, about people doing or or live like like people in my generation we lived through that economic crash, you know, and people in my family I remember had lost thousands of dollars in the stock market, you know, and you're just like, wow, man, that that's terrible. You know, yeah. uh, lose their house, people, you know, who lose their house and, you know, you just, it, it puts a certain amount of fear in you. Yeah. Like, how, how do you help people overcome that? Yeah. Um, you know, that is such an important thing. So, so much so that um, that's usually the biggest piece of marketing when you think about how how companies market, uh, they market based on these our, our emotions, 
And one of the biggest emotions that control us is fear. You know, people, people generally make decisions out of fear, greed, and love. You know, those are the main things that drive people to make the decisions that they make. And so, you know, one of the things that I try to do in sitting with clients um, is make them feel comfortable, um, m- help them to understand things first and foremost. And so I go through um, very basic um, uh, ideas of what financial instruments are and how they work, how they're supposed to be used. Because honestly, sometimes people, uh, I start answering questions and, and over the years, I've tweaked and added and changed because my whole goal is to answer a question that I know you have before you have to ask it. Because in a a lot of cases, that fear drives people not to want to turn that rock or look under that stone because they're scared of what they might find there. And so, so many parts of the conversation is to just help bring down that guard um, and, and let people say, whew, it's okay. You know, one of the things that I always tell people is, um, you know, when, when you're sitting with a, an advisor that is holistic and, um, is truly a, a, a planner, then you're going to talk about things that may not have anything to do with money mm. because a true planner is trying to understand your mindset. Right. Um, and that mindset. Why? Because then I can help talk you through it. It's like people who, you know, think that, uh, you know, going on a diet is the way to lose weight. Well, it might knock some weight off of you. But the truth is, if you got some things that you need to think through, if you got some some demons that that you haven't faced, then you ain't doing nothing, you know. And so that's what it's all about is that mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times it's just easing those fears by providing that information proactively. Mm. You don't have to ask. It's before you we get to the uncomfortable part of you trying to figure out how am I going to tell him that I owe one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in student loans? I don't want to mention that. Right. So I'm going to make it a little bit more comfortable for you by saying, listen, there is not a, a situation that I have not seen. Now, if you got one and I ain't seen, I'm going to have to tell you that uh, <laughs> that you that, that you that. Uh, <laughs> You, you, you are now the worst situation, but I promise you, it, it, out of all the things that I've seen in 17 years, um, trust me, a combination of a few different people, I've seen it before. So rather than us, um, you know, feeling uncomfortable, let's go ahead and put it out there and I'm going to help you figure this stuff out. Mm-hmm. And once people feel that you are there to help them figure it out, then they're like, here, here it is. This is what I'm dealing with. Please help me because I can't figure it out. I've tried and I don't have the answer. Um, and so just making people comfortable a lot of times is in being proactive. Okay. You you are a fiduciary, right? Yes, sir. And, and I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this never even heard that word before. <laughs> like what what does that in 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 its essence mean and and how is it different from a person who isn't fiduciary okay so um a fiduciary 
um, is an advisor who is, in summing it up, they are responsible for the advice that they give you to the point of liability. And so um, they are supposed to do what is in your best interests. And so a fiduciary is basically uh, a, a person in the financial services uh, uh, form of fiduciary responsibility, a person who is responsible to give you their best advice based on the information that uh, you give them. They are supposed to use professional um, level advice versus, you know, a non-fiduciary um, can be more product specific. A mm -hmm. uh, non-fiduciary can say, you know, I sell annuities to everybody who comes in the door because that's what I sell. Or I sell term life insurance to everybody I talk to because that's what I sell. Um, and so that that insurance person may not be a fiduciary or everybody who comes in the door gets this stock portfolio because that's what pays me the highest commission. That's what I sell. And so a lot of times as well with the fiduciary uh, responsibility comes um, a different way of billing. And so uh, if, if someone is strictly commissioned, um, a lot of times they are non-fiduciary, which means basically they earn a commission based on the sell up front of a product versus most times fiduciaries are paid based on the advice that they give or assets that they have under management mm -hmm. or a combination of those things. And so their, their, um, their benefit, their growth is tied up with your benefit and your growth. And so the better advice they give you, the better off you are, the better off they are. Right. So your, your incentives are tied. Yeah. And, and I think that's, it. that's, you got to really get to understand the difference between those two things when you're ready to contact the financial advisor. Just, just in my own experience, like I've con contacted financial advisors before. And when you ask them, are they fiduciary or non-fiduciary? If they start to squirm and they can't say yes or no, hang up the phone. Right. <laughs> or in the comp because I, in my experience, they never say no. They start right. to explain something else. And you're just like, okay. Because they, they're not going to work in your best interest 100% of the time. And, and I think that that's what, that's what I need. And I think that that's what you need too uh, yeah. as a listener, you know. Um, so, yeah, so, no so, doubt. So be no careful doubt. of that. And it, it, it's important. And, and most people don't know the difference. Um, and, and, and one of the differences you may be able to feel even, um, you will notice that with fiduciaries, it's a lot less pressure sales. It's not very salesy at all. I'm, I'll tell you now, I'm not, I'm not a salesperson. Mm -hmm. um, I help people. So because my commodity is my advice. Right. And so I'm going to give you my best advice. And there's a certain level of pride in my understanding of the industry, understanding of products, understanding of markets and understanding of what I'm doing that allows me to have pride in the advice that I give you. 
And so those things are important to me. And so, you know, for a salesperson, it might be, I tell you whatever you want to hear in order to close this deal. Right. And most of the time, that's because I'm going to get a huge commission up front. And whether you do good or not, whether you benefit or not, whether this hurts you in the future or not, I got mine. Mm. And I'm going to tell you, the difference is um, because in a firm, you can have like when I worked through, I mean, I I, I got my uh, fiduciary license um, back in what that was oh five or 06. Um, and so ever since then, I've been working under that title, um, but I've worked for large institutions that's had uh, both fiduciaries and non-fiduciaries. And there, I'm going to tell you, Darian, plenty of times, plenty of times you go into the sales meeting and the commission only folks are way up on the top of the board where they're making double the amount of money you made. Wow. Wow. Because they're getting that huge commission up front. But it's I'm telling you. It, so if somebody comes at you with really high pressure sales, more than likely they're not a fiduciary right. because their advice is not where their pride is. Mm. That product and the commission that they're going to get is where their pride is. So, yeah, man, y'all y'all look out for that and be careful and, and do your research. Do as much reading as you can. Educate, educate, educate. Because even if go. someone hires a person, if you hire James, you're going to want to understand at least the basics of what he's doing with your money, you know, because mm -hmm. you're going to want to check it out and see, okay, I understand that the stock market is doing X, Y, and Z. So he made this move. You you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure you have your clients call you all the time. Like James, I'm, like a few months ago, back in April, oh man, the stock market's crashing. What are we going to do? <laughs> yep. You know, yep. sell everything. <laughs> yep. and 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 see that's the thing a fiduciary um because you're actively working in the best interest of your client um and because your 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 wages are tied to how well their accounts are doing if you if you're are earning on assets under management it's a percentage and so i don't want these accounts to go down because i don't want to take a pay cut and so I'm going to do what I need to do to make sure. So people aren't calling me, I'm calling them. And so I'm saying, hey, here's what I'm doing. Look, you're going to start getting some confirmations. Here's why. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we, I'm going to add a defensive sleeve into your portfolio so we can ride this thing out. When it turns around, I'll take it off. You'll be good. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. And then people are like, oh, yeah. Oh, I saw those come. I didn't realize you had did all of that. You know, and so that's 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 what a fiduciary does. I want to switch gears and kind of just get into some more of the educational stuff, just some some basic terms. And you do a really good job of doing this by grouping them into what you call buckets. 
Yeah. And, and if we could just briefly get into the different buckets and how you group them and what they mean uh, for, for people's uh, financial stability. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, the biggest, the biggest thing is understanding um, the financial tools and the reasons that they were created. Um, and so I always give this example, think about it like this. If you wanna uh, drive a nail through a two by four, you can go to Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever and get the most expensive screwdriver you can find. And it can be a 50, 60, 80, $100 screwdriver. It still won't do as good a job as a dollar 52 cent hammer because the hammer was designed to drive that nail through that two by four. That's not what that screwdriver was designed to do. And so very often in, in my sitting with clients, it is helping them to um, properly use the tools that they have um, and understand the tools that are available to them, use them in the right way. And so, you know, you look at it from bucket one to bucket four, uh, the jobs that they are supposed to accomplish would be starting in bucket one would be your basic everyday kind of stuff. You know, you're paying bills, you're paying um, uh, your mortgage or your rent, you're buying food, your clothes, um, everyday life, you know, really. And so the tools that are available to accomplish those jobs would be your basic DDAs, demand deposit accounts, would be checking accounts or savings accounts or liquid cash money, money market accounts, things you can get to relatively quickly. Um, and so they're short. You need it now. It's immediate. And so that's kind of your bucket one. Those are the proper things, the proper use for those things. Um, you get into bucket two, you're now looking at more of an intermediate type of situation. So you don't necessarily need it now, but you will need it later. And so it could be that you're planning a major purchase. It could be that you're planning to buy a new home, or it could be that you're planning a big vacation, or it could be an annual vacation that you take. Um, furthering education or paying for a child's education, things that, you know, they're, they're relatively, um, you know, they're not right right now, uh, but, you know, it's a year from now. It's two years, five years from now. So these are kind of those intermediate later goals. Uh, so those are the jobs that need to be accomplished. Tools would be um, things more basic, uh, a, a little a little less basic, sorry, than you know a checking account or savings account. Maybe mutual funds, mm -hmm. a basic brokerage account where you have stocks or bonds or uh, exchange trade funds or um, unit investment trusts, anything like that. You can. Uh, get to them relatively quickly, uh, but they're a little more volatile. And so it may take a little bit more time to actually uh, uh, access those. And so it works a little harder because you can make a little bit more money on it. And so maybe that's a year, two years, three years, a CD, you know, is another example. And so then when you go on over to bucket three, bucket three is hey, I don't necessarily need it now. Don't necessarily need it later, a year, two or three years from now, but it's going to be a while. Um, and so it's more of a long term. 
And so when it comes to that long term, you also have to think of it in a way of it being for a long time. And so people only think about long term as in, you know, I don't have to worry about that right now. That's 20 years down the road. But we also have to think about it. It needs to exist for a long time. Mm -hmm. It needs to be around for 20 years. It needs to be around for 40 years, 50 years. The biggest thing in this bucket is cash flow. Like that's your ability to bring money in and send money out. Mm. And so as you do that, you're really funneling it to buckets one and two and uh, four that we'll later talk about. Uh, the tools that should be used properly when they're properly used in bucket three generate cash flow. Hmm. Why? Because that's really, again, your cash in, cash out bucket. That's that's income. That's income outgo. And so uh, your job, your ability to go to work is a tool in that bucket. Um, but at some point, you may not be able to go to work. You may not be able to travel. You may not be able to do whatever it is that you do. Um, and so you would need now money to take its place. Instead of you going to work for money, money goes to work for you. Absolutely. And so some of the tools that you would start investing in so that it can be around for a long time would be social security, would be pensions, would be 401ks, and 403bs, um, IRAs, both traditional, Roth, 7702 plans. Uh, 457s, 403Bs. These are all things that you put money into a little bit at a time, slowly over time. And then at some point you cut on a switch and you take money out a little bit at a time. Um, so the concept is is pretty much the same. You're, you're, you're basically preparing your replacement yeah. when you save uh, in those types of vehicles. You're rep- preparing your replacement. Um, and so as bucket bucket three, uh, bucket four is, I don't necessarily need it now or later ongoing, but it's really beyond my days. Um, it's beyond me. So this is legacy. Now you're talking about what happens to the people who are left here if I check out, when I check out, you know, whether that's, you know, for me, a dad of two, husband of one, um, does that mean that if dad's salary is gone if dad's income is gone? My kids just got to deal with less. Um, my wife just got to figure out how to make it happen. Um, or have I sufficiently planned to make sure that I've replaced my income? Mm-hmm. Money can't replace me, but money can replace my money. Mm-hmm. And that's what we got to look at. So bucket four is legacy beyond my days or simply beyond my ability to make money, my beyond my control. Um, and that looks at, you know, not just death, but also um, uh, the point at which we can't make our own decisions because we're, uh, uh, we lack capacity. Absolutely. And so if we ever come to that point, then these decisions have had to had already been made um, or somebody's going to be making our decisions for us. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, the tools that exist there, you had tools like um, a trust, uh, power of attorneys. You have tools like wills. Um, people like to say that if you you have a trust, that means you're rich. No, it just means you want control. 
It just means beyond the grave or beyond your ability to make decisions, you have already made them and now they can be carried out contractually. But by itself, it's no good. Me having a will and no no stuff to give away is no good. Me having a trust and no money to go into the, the trust to fund it is no good. And so the the legal documents need to be married to financial documents. Mm. Financial documents would include um, life insurance. You know, life insurance is the best way to fund a will, best way to fund a trust, best way, most efficient way. You literally buy dollars for pennies. Mm. And so um, that's that's so important. If I if I tell you I'll give you I'll give you a dollar tomorrow if you give me a penny today. I'm signing up for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, the other thing there is looking at how do I fund a durable power of attorney? Well, you know, having my wishes on how things will be carried out if I can't do it is great. But if I can't do it and it's because I can't go to work, then I can't make money. So what do I need in its place? That's where disability insurance comes in. Um, understanding how your disability insurance works at work is very important. If you do not have um, an employer plan, understanding that you can get personal plans um, is important on how they work. Um, They basically say if you don't have the ability to do your job, then this insurance will kick in and pay you a a check every month. So it's income replacement is what's happening there. Um, The other piece is looking at uh, long-term care and uh and or chronic illness care you know because again one day we could all at any point get to that point where we need help with activities of daily living and when that happens it's expensive people don't understand how expensive it is Um, right here in greensboro north carolina you can easily pay six to seven thousand dollars per month in an assistant living facility wow per month I mean, so you're talking 60 some, 70 some thousand dollars a year, you know, and for a lot of people that just runs their assets out um, quicker than they can actually give them as as a form of inheritance. Right. Um, And so having, you know, that long term care insurance in place, you know, a lot of people, you know, would wait until they actually get that stuff put in place. But, um, you know, and maybe that is something that you can feel comfortable in waiting, not to say young people don't get sick, but, um, you know, it's a little less likely. Uh, and so if you're in your fifties and sixties, you need to start having these conversations. Right. Absolutely. And so there's a lot of products out there. There's a lot of different financial tools out there, but you just have to have an understanding of how they should be used. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's kind of how I've constructed this this bucket list, what I like to call it. Um, And so where you can understand, here's the product. How does this fit in? You know, you got to understand that bucket one is not very tax efficient at all. So if you got a whole bunch of money sitting in bucket one and two, it's not tax efficient versus buckets three and four are very tax efficient. You know, um, you have Roth versus traditional sitting in bucket three, 
You have non-tax benefits coming out of, you know, in terms of like a life insurance or disability insurance, long-term care insurance. Um, those things are tax-free in bucket four. And so you have to understand how that stuff works so that, again, you're using the tools appropriately. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the tricky part is, is understanding that a savings account, savings account, a checking account, and a money market account are, are in one place, but they all do different things. And I think a lot of people have those accounts, right? They can understand that. And life insurance, they can understand too. But they don't understand that life insurance has a different function uh, financially for you uh, yep. than a savings or checking account. And a lot of times in communities, people have life insurance and they don't distribute it the right way. And so the life yep. insurance disappears. Like this, yeah. some money in the family, they distribute it, they get the money and then... A month later, that money is gone and your family isn't better off than they were when you were here. That's the importance of those legal documents, because I can put stipulations and attach strings, you know. And so if something happens to me, instead of instead of you just getting a lump sum of cash, you're going to get, you know, access to money with conditions, you know, and so that could be. You know, for a child that could be around making sure college is paid for or a wedding or a down payment on a house or starting of an investment account or whatever it is. But it's not going to just be, well, here's five hundred thousand <laughs> right. to my 18 year old. Here's two hundred thousand dollars to my, you know, 22 year old. And then, man, you'd be, you'd be, well, you wouldn't be surprised, but maybe other people would be surprised how often that, man, I, you know, even in my own family, I've seen it happen. I'm like, yo, that money gone? Yeah, it's gone, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing we didn't yeah. really hit on was some, some ways to save for your kids' college so they don't end up in the same predicament that we have been in. And, and one yeah. financial tool that I know uh, of that we've talked about before is a 529 plan. Yeah. Can you kind of talk about five two nines and maybe some alternative plans to help people prepare for their kids going to college? Yeah. So um, five twenty nines in uh, you know every state they're governed by the states, and so states have their own five twenty nine plans that you can participate in, and basically it's an education savings plan. And what it does is it allows you to put money away toward um, higher education for, you know, for your children, your niece, your nephew, anybody, you know, any, anybody that's going to go to college um, can use those funds. And you don't have to pay um, typical um, taxes on the growth of it. It's not a tax. It's not a tax deduction. So you don't get to write off what you put into it. However, it can grow where you don't have to pay taxes on its growth, whatever it's growing. Um, And so especially if you have a young child, you know, over a long period of time, that could be a significant savings. Um, The thing about 529 and there are two major shortcomings. One, as I mentioned, um, each state, sort of has their own, they, they manage their own 529 plans. So some states are just quite frankly better than others, period, mm-hmm. point blank. 
Uh, but if you live in that state, then you get the state exemption and the federal exemption. Uh, wow, okay. And you go to school in that state. So that's that's the positive. But if you live in a state like, say, North Carolina, for example, where it's not great at all, then, you know, you're 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 much worse off than, say, a state like Virginia, where it's a pretty decent plan. Right. Um, and so the other downfall to it uh, is the fact that it can only be used for uh, college expenses. And, and it's not just, oh, I'm in college and I need a place to stay or oh, I'm going to college and now I need a car. No, <laughs> it's got to be paying to the campus. You're paying room and board. You're paying tuition. You're buying books at the bookstore on campus. Um, you know, it has to be sent to the school in order not to get uh, a penalty on the taxes. Wow. Okay. And so, you know, it, it, it does kind of pigeonhole you. Um, and I'll tell you over the years what 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 I've learned and what I've ran into. Um, and it, and this this happened back in, let's see, 2000. Uh, I'd say about eight or so. Yeah. Um, say roughly about 2007 or eight, I'll say in there. Um, and I had a client who came in. He had been putting money into a 529 for years and years. Man had a hundred thousand dollars in 529. Wow. Um, and his daughter got a full ride. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's great. But <laughs> she got a full ride. And so he was like, okay, so um, what, what am I do, Jay? So I was like, I mean, you put the money in there. Now, I mean, what about your next kid? He had a son, a daughter and a son. Son is younger. So the son is like, okay, I'll save it up for him. Son don't want to go to college. Oh, jeez. So a couple years, two, three years later, he come in, he like, he ain't going to college. He's graduated high school. He's he's going to um he got him a job and he's gonna do this and this. And he's he's gonna work in the family business. He don't wanna he don't wanna go to college. So he's like, now I got this this 529, and it has grown even more that I can't do anything with. Hmm. Um, and so he the choices was to pass it on to another family member, um uh, or to you know go ahead and use it. Uh, for non-education expenses and just pay the penalties. Wow. Um, and so, you know, that's that's the thing. That's the big thing about a 529. So um, you want to be careful not to overfund it. Um, you know, at the same time, you know, it's, it's, it's a great tool to save for college. Um, there are other ways to do it, though. Yeah. And so depending on your age, depending on how old you would be when your kids are in college, um, you know, a Roth IRA is a great way to do it. Um, if it's the scenario where you would not be 59 and a half when they go to college, then um, doing something uh, either with a non-qualified account that's tax, tax managed or doing something with um, uh, cash value inside of life insurance. Uh, and quite frankly, I think that may be the most efficient way um, is the tax value, the, the cash value inside of a life insurance. And it has to be a permanent policy. 
um, uh, universal life or whole life. Um, so, overfunded, not underfunded. So what what, what does that mean for someone who doesn't know anything about life insurance? What what does that mean exactly? Okay. So um, basically, you have life insurance comes in a few different forms. One form, uh, which is the most basic, um, is you just pay for what you get. It's like renting the insurance in case you need it. That's term. And so you pay $20, $30, $40 a month, whatever. And if you die, there's a $500,000 death benefit that pays out. Very basic, straightforward. That's it. Um, but then the other aspect of it is now, okay, I don't want to just have the death benefit, but I also want to have cash value. So you have universal life and whole life that you can pay more than what it costs to just have the death benefit. And what that would do is two things. One, it gives you that policy for much longer. So you can actually cover your whole life, not just 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, um, but you can actually cover until your age 100, you know, to your age 95. It goes up to 120 um, in terms of how long the policies will last. One, one At the end of 120, which is really 121. And so anything extra that that is over and above the actual cost of insurance and the premium and the different fees that are involved in having the insurance itself. So instead of paying $40 or $50 a month, you may be paying $100 a month. But that other $30 or $40 or $50 is going into the cash value. That cash value now is earning interest. It's earning dividends. It's growing. And so as it grows, it's basically building up. You can kind of look at it like a savings account on the side um, of your of your insurance. And so you have your insurance in case you die, but you also have a living benefit, which is the cash value. Okay. Yeah, insurance is funny. I think this is one of the things where we don't see eye to eye on. <laughs> but just, but I think it's just one of those things. Some people are more into terms. Some people are more into whole life. And, and you kind of got to do the research and see where you, how you feel about it, because they mm -hmm. are two completely different instruments. Like one, one is more like a savings account. You get the money, you know, your family gets all the money at the end. And the, yep. uh, the other one, like you say, you just pay 20, 30 bucks and then you get a certain amount. You know, they pay you out a certain amount at the end. Either yep. way, you ain't going to be here. So just figure out which one you want to deal with. <laughs> right. But every situation is different, you know. Insurance, yeah. man, it's, it's funny how difficult it is to understand any form of insurance. It, yeah. It's really annoying to me. <laughs> like health insurance, I don't, I don't even know. I'm just like, I paid as much. You know, who knows? But all insurances yeah. are are very convoluted. Like it's it's so intense, man. Yeah. Um, I got, I just got a couple more questions for you before we get out of here. I know you probably, I'm probably wearing you out, but <laughs> man, I, I do. I want, I want to talk about uh the creation of generational wealth, you know, and, and definitely one tool is, is, is insurance. Like you just said, what are some other tools that we can use to create generational wealth? Yeah. Um, and that, and that, you know, that insurance piece, that's probably the most powerful tool. Um, 
that is the Thor's hammer. That's it. Um, and I'll tell you why it goes back to what I said earlier. You're literally buying dollars for pennies. Right. And so whatever the scenario, um, you can take whatever you have and you can magnify it. And so the opportunity to pass on um, wealth from generation to generation becomes that much easier if we understand the insurance piece. Okay. If, if everyone in the family had insurance, there would be no mouths, no poor mouths in the next generation because everybody would be paying it forward. That's really what it is. And that's really a lot of people, their biggest gripe. Um, so I got one quick story um, about a physician. I was in in this big, beautiful home, me and a partner of a um, physician, black, black doctor, been practicing a long time at that point, probably 25, 30 years, something like that. Uh, so we're talking about retirement, talking about all kind of stuff. And him and his wife are there. And um, so we say, well, doc, what kind of insurance you got? Doc said, I don't have any. Hmm. He's like, well, okay. So well, what happens? I mean, doc, you, you know, I mean, you, you're doing pretty good. You're making $300,000 a year. <laughs> What's going to happen to your wife and lifestyle if, if you go out here and get run over by a Mack truck? And his response was, I don't know. I ain't going to be here. This mindset, highly educated man, is a physician, heart cardio, cardiologist, mm -hmm. um, but just didn't have the understanding of how important it is to have things in place for the next generation. Right. And so um, I say all of that to say a big part of the generational wealth and the, the most powerful tool um, that we really have, even, even, even going against what I just said a few minutes ago, outside of insurance, the most powerful tool we have is our own mindset, hmm. our own approach to it. The, the building of wealth has to be something that you are willing to look past yourself. And so many people find that hard to do even when it comes to their children. Wow. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, and it's usually our folks, it's usually in the black community that I hear this, but I can't tell you how many times I've heard, I got mine, they're gonna have to get theirs. Yeah. Mm. That is literally pressing the reset button every single generation. Absolutely. And so what's happening is the generational wealth gap, which is a quarter million dollars right now, is growing and it's growing consistently. Um, and the only way we'll be able to tackle it is if we actually change our mindsets. Hmm. And we got to start thinking about, no, you're not going to start over. My son's not starting over. I refuse for my son to start from where I, where I started. Yes, no, I'm you're going to be way ahead of where I was and I'm going to be 
the reason that you are ahead yeah. of where I was. You're not going to have to do it in spite of me. You're going to do it because of me. Mm. And so that's what we have to do. If we can get there. And I know I kind of changed up a little bit from the different products, but yeah, no, dude, that's real. That's real. That's the biggest. Yeah. This right here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. I like that. I'm with, I'm, I, I support that 100%. You know, like, like we've been saying through this whole podcast, the most important thing you can do is educate yourself. And through that education, yeah. they'll link up with a person like you, James, or like, you know, a myriad of other people who are out there, who are fiduciaries and who are out there to do what's best for you. And yeah. uh, so, so really, really get into a new mindset and, yeah. and pull your whole family up Yeah, uh, by educating yeah. yourself, you know? Yeah. And once we do that, then, you know, the man, I'm going to tell you, the tools themselves, um, you know, again, if you're working with somebody who knows what they're doing, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you, there are so many times that I have conversations where all we're talking is concept 90% of the time. And then the last little bit, they're like, okay, now what are we going to use to do that? Oh, yeah, that's right. So here's where we're going to put the money. We're going to put some here. We're going to put some here. We're going to put some here. Why? Because the tools are the easy part. Right. That's the easy part. You know, um, and, and, and when I say the easy part, it only becomes easy once you have put in the work mm. to get to that last step. Um, once you, once you put in the work to get to the last step, all the conversations, the calculations, the, this is what's happening in the future. This is where I want to be. This is where I'm going. These are my expectations. This is how much it takes for me to live. You know, this is what I want to have available for my kids. If something happens, all of those things, when you can actually, um, put those things down in writing and talk about them and discuss them with your spouse or your significant other, your children, your, your, your parents, whatever it is, then putting the tools in place becomes much easier, mm-hmm. you know? And so, you know, um, having the ability to pass down things is, is important. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you the reason that uh, very wealthy people still have life insurance is because of how it passes, the mm-hmm. way in which it passes. Um, it passes like no other asset created. Wow. It really does. Okay. Man, look, I think that's a good place to pause right there. That was powerful, man. Where where can people link with you um uh, on on the internet? Absolutely. So um one thing you can do is look me up on um Facebook, put in buyers wealth strategies, and you can learn a little bit more about me um there and how we help folks. Uh, my website as well, which is www.buyerswealthstrategies.com. Again, that's Buyers Wealth Strategies. And strategies is plural. It has an IES on the end, all right? So people <laughs> always get that confused. <laughs> but buyerswealthstrategies.com. Um, and learn a little bit more. There's, there's ways to connect with us on there. Um, you know, it's important that we we have uh, make ourselves available uh, to folks, not just in talking about it, but being about it. And so in doing that, I do not charge 
uh, for consultation. We do not bill to have a conversation. So let's have more wealthy conversations. Call me, let's talk, email me. Um, let's set up a time to do a Zoom or, or, or something and um, just talk. You know, there's nothing, you're not gonna lose anything by having a conversation. So that's why, you know, even with that, we don't charge any consultation fees or anything like that. We don't want those barriers up. Mm-hmm. And that's that's dope, man. And so that's Buyers Wealth Strategies, B-Y-E-R-S, Strategies, plural. And y'all, uh, .com, y'all check that out. And I'll put it in the show notes so you can just click it and, you know, be right there and hit James up. I, one more thing. Are you still doing, uh, you used to do community Zoom calls where you kind of explain the basics of, uh, and strategies for investing and creating generational wealth. Are you still doing those? And can people have access to that? Um, so we do those kind of on, um, by request. So, you know, some organizations will bring us in and we'll do, um, you know, do, do a series or workshop, um, the best way to kind of see if any of that's happening and when it is would be uh, on Facebook or on the website. Um, every Wednesday, uh, we do a Wealthy Wednesday. And so uh, on Wealthy Wednesday, you know, I, I take one concept, one concept at a time and explain that one concept, break that one concept down. And so it ranges from you know, from debt to different forms of investments, to different tools, um, to, you know, again, some of these mindset issues that we run into, some of the stinking thinking, um, some of the bad habits that we uh, form and uh, and cling to, uh, some of that ignorance is bliss, you know? <laughs> um, and so, you know, we have these conversations on Wednesdays, every Wednesday evening, uh, we go live on Facebook. Well, I can't say every Wednesday, but um, on Wednesdays, <laughs> we go live on Facebook to share a wealthy, uh, wealthy topic. Wow. Okay. So y'all check that out. And uh, yeah, James, man, thank you so much for coming on a late set, man. Oh, yeah, man. And uh, we'll catch y'all later. <laughs>